listening to First Church Charlotte. Shall we stand together and we will read at First uh, Kings 18. And after the great confrontation between the prophets of Baal and Elijah, and the Lord answers by fire, we are in verse 41. After they have seized the prophets of Baal and killed them, which is not how we deal with people nowadays. Aren't you glad you live in the New Testament, not the Old Testament? It's like Paul said, these things are examples to us, but don't run out and do this kind of stuff. (laughs) So verse 41, Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink. I knew there was a scripture in the Bible for me. And it's right here. Go up, eat and drink. Yes, Lord. Uh, For there is the sound of the abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. There he bowed down on the ground, put his face between his knees and says to his servant, go up now and look toward the sea. And the story goes on. He's praying for rain clouds and the Lord is going to answer his uh, prayer request. I am concluding the series I've been doing on the lesson of Elijah's life. We uh, have been looking at this theme for four weeks now, doubt, drought, and the presence of God. Before you're seated, fist bump your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here. I can tell you really need church. We have a lot of uh, first-time guests here today. Thank you for worshiping with us. We, we're glad you're here. Uh, we're a pretty enthusiastic church, which is a good thing, uh, but we will take care of you, and all will be well. Now, uh, I heard a story about the difference between a teacher and an educator, and it was illustrated in a story. Uh, this middle school was having a problem uh, because the girls at the middle school uh, Although they weren't allowed to wear makeup of any type of school, they weren't allowed to wear lipstick. Some of them would bring lipstick, and they would go in the bathroom, and they'd put lipstick on, and they would leave kissy marks on the on the mirror in the bathroom. And so every night, the janitor would come in there, and he would have to clear, clean all of these kissy marks from lipstick off of the off of the mirror. Well, this was a lot of work, you know, a lot more work than just washing the mirror. And so they asked the girls to stop doing it. They made announcements over the intercom. They put up signs. The principal finally told the janitor, I don't know what's going to work. And he said, well, let me try. Just call a meeting for all the girls to meet us in the largest bathroom, and I want to show them how hard it is to clean that mirror every night. Then they'll stop doing it, and they realize how much work it is. And so uh, that's what they did. The principal got on the intercom and uh, asked all the girls to come to the, the, the largest bathroom they had, and they all packed as many of them as they could in there. And she said, we're making a final appeal to you guys to stop leaving kissy marks on the the, gla- the, the mirrors. And uh, to appeal to you, what we're going to do is we're going to show you how hard this is. And the janitor is offered to teach and show uh, how much work this is. So the janitor says, everybody watch, okay? He got out a squeegee. He walked over to the toilet. He dunked it in the toilet. <laughs> He walked over to the mirror and he proceeded to scrub on the mirror. (laughs) The school had no more problems with kissy marks on mirrors. He said, see how much work that was? 
That's the difference in a teacher and an educator. I want to educate somebody here today. I want to give you some understanding that you can take into your life. And that's funny. I don't care what y'all say. So what does it mean for us to live lives of spiritual meaning? What does it mean for us as believers to live lives of spiritual meaning? Uh, Christianity was never meant to be a label or a cultural title. It very much was an invitation to a relationship to the eternal God. It was never meant to be a title or a cultural label. It was very much an invitation uh, to a relationship with the, the true and the living God. And so what does it mean for us to live lives of spiritual meaning? Uh, it's easy to say, well, I, I want to be saved, and uh, I'm glad you feel that way. Um, I want to be saved. Now, it'll be easier for me to be saved than you because I'm a good bit better Christian than you are. Uh, that's funny. Sorry. I had to just throw that in there since we're having some uh, laughter here. Uh, uh, we all of us want to be saved, but I, I want you to see salvation is God's gift. It's, it's God's completed work. All we do is ex- accept it, receive it. We repent of the old way. We allow our identity be, to be changed to his identity through baptism, and we walk with his spirit by living a spirit-led life. Uh, these, these, these are intra, kind of, kind of the, the basics of, of beginning a relationship with God. Um, just being saved is not necessarily what I'm talking about when I say uh, you are invited to live a life of spiritual meaning. Uh, much, much higher goal than simple salvation. I, I often say this, and I want to remind you again today that uh, for most of the story of God's dealing with humanity, uh, the people didn't live with a sense of saved or lost. That wasn't really an idea that became part of their relate their religion, uh, really until in the understanding of the changes in the New Testament. That's when that idea, uh, old, in the Old Testament, the children of Israel didn't think of themselves as lost. They were God's children. They were covenant. There was no lost. Uh, there was sinful and there was judgment, but they didn't live with a sense of, of saved or lost. That's, a, that's an idea that is the result of grace. That is an idea that's the result of God's completed work at Calvary. And so if I just say to you, you, uh, you should be saved. That's, that's really just an introduction into what it means to live a life of spiritual meaning. Um, our highest opportunity and our highest honor is to minister to the Lord. We know that. But as our heart is changed to be like him, we begin to see with his eyes and we begin to see with, uh, feel with his heart. And it turns us from being a recipient to being a participant. Let me say that again. Understanding the heart of God turns us from being a recipient of what he has done to be a participant in what he is doing. Uh, if we don't make that transition, then we struggle to really understand what it means to live lives of spiritual meaning and spiritual significance. So let me say it this way. God wants to anoint you in such a way that you are a blessing to all your world. Uh, This is the original covenant that the Lord gave to Abraham. Through you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Uh, As children of Abraham, the Lord wants you to live in such a way that you are God's blessing in your world. Your relationship with God, the transformation of your heart to reflect his heart is manifest not by your truth, but how you carry your truth. This is the whole point of 1 Corinthians 13, where it doesn't matter if you understand all things, but how you share it does matter. 
Does that make sense? Does it matter if you understand all mysteries? How awesome would it be to understand all mysteries? I mean, no risk of any of us doing that anytime soon. But what if you could understand all mysteries? That wouldn't change the world. But if you took that mystery and carried it in love, that might change the world. Do you see? And so you become God's blessing in your, uh, in your world. And the way that's going to happen is through uh, the ministering of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit in your life. That's going to produce character. It's going to produce uh, fruit of the Spirit. Fruit is the natural produce of a process. Fruit does not, a tree does not strain to grow true, a fruit. It is the natural product. The natural product of you being filled with the Spirit is you begin to live with a certain style, a certain stone, a certain way of loving people, a certain way of, of showing God's goodness to people. And it's not in what you know, it's how you carry what you know. That's the, that's the fruit. Now, yes, there are gifts of the Spirit, but favor is not fair. And if you say favor is fair, all you're saying is you need another word for favor. Because favor means I favor you. Why don't you favor everybody? I don't know. It's a mystery. I favor you. This is what favor is. And gifts is very much about the favor of God. But the natural working of the Spirit in your life will produce a way of being a blessing in your world. Lord, we want to be blessings in this world. We want to be blessings in our communities. We want to be blessings in our families. We want to be blessings in this city, oh God. Let revival flow through us, not just to us. Let blessings flow through us, not just to us, oh God. That we might might be the hands and the feet that bless this world with your love and your promise. And can the church say in Jesus' name. name. And so to live a life of spiritual meaning is really to understand what God is doing and to become a tool in the hand of the master to accomplish what he is doing. This is what Elijah has done. Elijah has properly understood. And if if you're coming in on on this lesson, we've had three uh, Sundays where we talked about the story of Elijah. Um, so uh, just try to try to catch up as best as possible here. Uh, Elijah has been able to see that the battle was not, uh, you know, him staying spiritual. The battle wasn't even the uh, school of the prophets staying spiritual. The, the battle was for the heart of the people. And if he's going to be useful in the hand of God, he has to enter into the arena where he is competing for the hearts of a nation. That is why he is led by the Spirit into the court of uh, King Ahab. And that is why he says, it's not going to rain until I say so. And that is why he ends up by the brook uh, eating food brought to him by unclean animals. And that is why he has to take refuge in the home country of Jezebel, Sidon. And there the widow of Zarephath takes care of him. It's there uh, that the miraculous moment of provision happens for her. There uh, the Lord uses him. He stretches himself across that uh, the dead body of the boy and prays. And you see his heart, the heart of redemptive covering. And these images are powerful and useful. But Elijah is a a vessel that is competing for the generation. Uh, It's not just him staying where he needs to be. He's doing fine. It's the generation that needs somebody to care. It's the generation that needs someone to engage. It's the generation, the prophecy conference that's being held by the school of the prophets. That's all great. God bless them. But that's not where the battle is. It's for the heart of the people and the people are backslidden and the people forget the, 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 the deep things. They've lost the shallow thing. And that is where the battle is. And Elijah gets this. 
The Lord leads him to this moment of confrontation and they bring the prophets of Baal and they pray for fire to fall and Elijah famously says to the house of Israel there, he says, look, how long halt ye? That's a very nice uh, King Jamesian way of speaking. How long halt ye between two opinions? Uh, Make up your mind. If you're going to serve Baal, then then, then get on with it. If you're going to serve Jehovah, then let's do that. But let's pray and let's see who answers by fire. We talked about this last week. There's this great victory that happens. And you you think, uh, Elijah certainly does, he thinks this is the end of the matter. He literally thinks this is the end of the matter. And so what he does is he celebrates this. He tells Ahab, look, go ahead and uh, eat and drink. We've been watching this contest here, this arm wrestling match between God and Baal here all day. You haven't eaten. Get something to eat. And I'm going to call on God, and it's about to rain. It's about to rain, 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 and then rain some more. I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. And so uh, Ahab goes and does what he does best, which is eating and drinking. And uh, Elijah goes and does what he does best, which is touching God. And he, he begins to pray. I want you to see a few things here before we move on. Elijah is not a coward. For three years, he's put his life on the line. I want you to give him this. He's not a coward. He's put his life on the line. Secondly, he's not a, he's, he's not easily discouraged. Seven times he prays and nothing happens. And he says, go again and go again and go again. He's not easily discouraged. But in a few scriptures, we're going to see a man who is very brave act like a coward. And we're going to see a man who is very persistent want to give up. Don't rush past that. You're about to see something happen in his personal faith that takes a brave man and has him act as though he's a coward and takes a persistent man and make him want to give up. Why am I preaching about this? Because here is the reality. If any of us are going to do anything for the kingdom of God, we're going to have to be brave. Can I have a big amen? And we're going to have to be persistent. If we are not brave and we are not persistent, we might as well just turn our back on mission and focus on just me and mine being saved or being blessed, whichever one resonates with you both most. But if you are willing to be brave in the promises of God, and if you're willing to be persistent against the barriers of the flesh, I promise you, God will use you to be a blessing in your world, a blessing to your generation, a blessing to your neighborhood, a blessing blessing to this church, a blessing to this city, granted in Jesus' name. What happens here? This brave man is going to act like a coward. This persistent man is going to want to give up. He is so sure the battle is over. He got what he wanted. He got demonstration on uh, Mount Carmel. Uh, He got the uh, people turn their affection, seemingly turn their hearts back to uh, um, uh, Jehovah. Uh, He prays and now the rain clouds are coming and he knows he doesn't need a big sign. He's the real deal, man. Most of us, we need a big sign. He doesn't need a big sign. He just needs a little sign. He's like, it's going to happen. He's a man of great faith. Um, He runs before, knowing it's going to rain, knowing the storm is coming. He runs faster than the king's chariot. Uh, you know, for most of my young life, I thought that this
this was just another miracle that he could run faster than a chariot. But I, I you know, I, I was just, I hadn't studied it. The, the truth is, kings had runners who went before them and announced for them. It was a, a standard practice of the day. There were, it's almost like an office of a person who did that. There were individuals who trained for this. And they would run ahead of the king and they would announce that the king was coming. And when the prophet does this, what he is showing is that he feels like he is now back in the court of the king. He is back with, he, the, the battle is over. I got what I wanted. The struggle is done. I have been appropriately uh, restored to good graces. And so uh, he is in a robe, hard to run fast in a robe. And so the Bible says he gird his robe up, which, um, if you, you know, I don't know if any of you men have ever tried to run in a robe. Um, I wouldn't recommend it. First of all, it's just weird. Uh, so what he did is he, he reached down, he grabbed the back of the robe, pulled it up, and he tied a knot here, and he tied a knot here. This is what uh, the Bible is referring to when they say, gird your loins, which is kind of a strange way to talk. But anyway, it's biblical. And so he got, not here and not here, he turned robe into sprinter shorts. And now he's trucking and he's announcing the king. He feels like the, I'm back on, I'm back on the team. Israel has turned back to God. I am celebrating the miraculous. This is what Elijah thinks has happened. And then Jezebel. Sends him a message and says, listen here, you sucker. Very dignified way of talking. Um, I'm going to do to you what you did to those prophets. And this is the moment where Elijah realizes the battle for the hearts of a generation is much more complicated than just demonstrating power and winning a battle. The struggle was always for the hearts of a generation. I've, I, I just like you, when you read this story, I've thought so much about Elijah in this moment and why this brave man begins to run, not led by the Spirit, the opposite, running for his life. He begins to fear. He begins to, worse than that, he begins to talk about giving up. This is just not what any of us would expect. This is such a surprise. But um, Elijah has just realized that the victory he thought he had won uh, was not the end of the matter. Um, Jezebel was perhaps the biggest cultural influence in the nation. She was the one who brought 450 prophets of Baal. She was the one who started the, the, the worship of Baal. If she is the most influential person in the kingdom, it won't matter what I do. And it seems as though his plan for revival has completely fallen to the ground and is over. And he despairs because his victory wasn't really a victory. And how can I compete with the culture? I want to say this really, really quickly in defense of anybody trying to do a work for the Lord. Um, it's easy for us, after the best that we have done, to look at other things in our society and see how compared to them we have almost no influence. Uh, if you try to let your light shine, and I hope you do, if you try to do that, it's easy for you to, having done that, realize that you're never going to have the influence that professional sports has. 
the pastor has to realize he's never going to have as many people as the, the local concert that came to town. He, he has to accept the fact that culture will always, because it is the celebration of self and worships the creation more than the creator, it will always win the popularity contest. This is what Jesus meant when he said, straight is the way and narrow is the gate and few there be that find it. He doesn't say that necessarily to sinners. He says that to religious Jews and to them, even people who feel like they're right under Abraham's covenant. He's saying to them, the kingdom of heaven is a different way of living, living spiritually and walking with God. It's a different way of living. It's not the natural progression of your flesh. You have to choose it. You have to desire it. You have to hunger for it. You have to seek it. You have to stand at the door and not. But if you will do that, if you won't give up, if you will believe the opportunity to be used of God will be opened to you. And so here's Elijah. He thought the battle was over and he found out that he had not in any regard finished this battle and he runs for his life. He's filled with fear. He's filled with despair. He begins to talk uh, this really negative kind of discouraging, uh, depressing talk. Uh, He runs as far as he can and he falls to the ground and he, uh, he basically said, look, I just wish I would die. That's pretty pitiful, I know. I wish I'd have died when I was little. (laughs) I'm not better than my father's. I I, I don't even know what this victory I thought that I had won means nothing as long as Jezebel will not turn toward the God of Israel. Uh, It's not just weak people who come to the end of themselves. It's strong people who come to the end of themselves. If Jesus couldn't carry his own cross, uh, we probably can't carry our own cross. We have to have someone else. Woe to the person who falls and is by themselves. There's no one to help them uh, get back up. The Lord is going to speak. Watch this. And I'm uh, stay with me a couple more moments more. The Lord is going to do a demonstration for Elijah that is so rich in spiritual understanding. Uh, it is probably the most referred to image of the Old Testament or story of the Old Testament whenever people are talking about being led of God or understanding how God speaks to us because after Elijah rests and there comes a point where we all simply need to rest and after Elijah eats and there comes a point where we don't have the strength we need to build our strength and after all of this the Lord asks him this question Elijah what are you doing here? I didn't really expect to see you here, Elijah. I didn't really send you here, Elijah. Uh, What are you doing here? Uh, Elijah has to face this emotion he has that nothing he does matters. If the enemy can convince you that nothing you does matter, he won't have to tempt you with sin because you will surrender without a battle. 
If the enemy can get you to believe that nothing you do matters, there will not be an issue anymore whether or not you're going to make it. You will surrender without a battle because nothing I do matters. The Lord gives Elijah a, a lesson which is as much for us, I believe, as it is for Elijah. And it is this. First of all, the Lord having spoke to him, the Lord uh, sends this great ripping wind that tears through the wilderness. And the Bible says it literally rends rocks. It breaks, it breaks as it were, the, uh, the, the very structure of the, the land that Elijah is, is sheltered within. And uh, afterwards, uh, the Bible says the Lord was not, the Lord was not in that in that wind. And as if that wasn't, as if that wasn't enough, the Lord then uh, sends, having sent the wind, the Lord uh, sends fire and uh, the land is burning with a fire that is, that is sent, sent from God. But um, the Lord was uh, not in the fire. The Lord sends an earthquake and the whole earth shakes with the tremors of God's power. But astonishingly, the Lord was, was not in the earthquake. And after these demonstrations, we have this beautiful moment of scriptural understanding. The Lord speaks in a still, small voice. A still, small voice. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Listen to Elijah's confession. I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. I, I have been very zealous for you. The children of Israel have broken your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. And even there now, they're trying to take my life. Where are you, God? Does anything I do matter? The enemy loves to attack us with this line of question with this line of doubt. Does any, does, does it matter at all? Um, I was talking with some young people who had done an event and it was a great event. And, uh, as we were doing our after, after action review, they, several, several of them men, mentioned about how they, it wasn't what they envisioned. They were, they were a little disappointed because it hadn't quite met their expectation. And, um, they looked at me like, what are you going to say to that? And is it okay for us to be that honest? <laughs> And so I smiled at him real big and I said, you know, I've been in ministry for uh, 20, 25 plus years now. I've never done an event that uh, met my expectations. I, true confessions. I, I've never done an event that met my expectation. Um, I always have the way I would do it if I were God and then the way God does it. Maybe we should build here three tabernacles. There's always the way I would do it if I were God. And then there's the way God does it. And the distance between the two is where my spiritual maturity grows. Because what Elijah wants is a moment 
a touch, and then he wants to be done. He wants to go back to celebrating Israel and announcing the king. That's not how it's going to happen because this is not a battle of appearances. This is a battle of the heart. And even today, the church's greatest battle, believe it or not, is not keeping ourselves saved. It's finding a way to effectively influence a generation toward the promises of God, toward the word of God, toward the blessings of God. And the extent to which we embrace that is the exact manner in which we fulfill the heart of God. And so here is Elijah coming to this understanding, realizing this, and uh, in this moment, the Lord, and I I don't have time to get into these three things. I'll do it another time because I, I love these stories, but the Lord gives him three anointings. The Lord gives him three anointings that he is to do. Uh, one of them he does, two of them he does not. Remember that. I want you to remember that little detail uh, you may not have heard in the story before. At this moment of his lowest uh, spiritual place, the Lord gives Elijah three tasks. He will perform three anointings of three different people. Elijah will not finish the three anointings. He will only do one of them. One of those anointings is to anoint Elijah and to take Elijah as the next prophet in this in this great battle. You see, here is the reality. Elijah has to accept the fact that this work is bigger than he is. It's never going to be finished with him. It is a baton. I hope some spiritual people are listening to me right now. It is a baton we pass from one generation to the next generation. It is a, it is a call that we, as we grow older, transmit to the young zealous people who are growing up in their faith. It is a generational bequest, a generational gift that those of you who have served God many, many years, uh, you can't sit back and look down religious noses at the new people. You have to give them the anointing that God gave you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You have to give them the burden that God gave you. He has placed in your hand a mission that was always too big for you. It was always too big for me. I need young people to say, I want to be a part of the mission of God. I need young believers to say, I want to be called to make a difference. Every ministry of this church must be transmitted. Or it's as mortal as we are. You guys hearing me? Elijah, you know what you do when you come to the end of yourself? You bind yourself to someone else. You were never going to make it alone. You were never going to stand in your own strength. You had to be knit together with someone else. Elijah, do you feel like quitting? It's not time to quit. It's time to get someone to help you carry your burden. It's not time for you to quit praying. It's time for you to find somebody and teach them how to pray. It's not time for you to quit studying. It's time for you to find someone and teach them how to study. And this is most beautifully illustrated in this reality. The two anointings that Elijah will never live to complete are both completed in the life of Elisha. There are three anointings, but Elijah can't do them himself. 
He needs someone else to get the burden and someone else to embrace the call. And so I want to take a moment here right now, and and this is a little different today, and I make no apologies for that. I, I just want to take a moment right now, and I want to say thank you to all of you faithful people who make a church possible. I am not a church. I'm a preacher. You're the church. Now, I'm a part of the church. But I want to say thank you to every one of you who understand the work of God is manifest through the local church. I believe the local church is the hope of the world. And the reason why I say that is it is God's choice to manifest his nature, his heart, and his character to the world. You will be more effective binding yourself with another believer than you'll ever be standing on your own. Because the gospel is always heavier than what you can carry. And the mission is always grander than what you can embrace. You have to, while you are connecting yourself to him, you have to connect yourself to the people who are like you. What is it that God says? Man, I wish I could preach. If I could preach good, this would be really good. But just imagine somebody who's a good preacher is preaching this right now, okay? I want you to see what God says to Elijah when he comes to the end of himself. That's what we all do. All of us, it's called being mortal whether you're Jezebel, whether you're the children of Israel, or whether you're the prophet, we all come to the end of ourselves. And in that moment, we decide the next step of our spiritual call and our divine destiny. It's in that moment. And you know the word of the Lord to Elijah in that moment. Hey, buddy, 7,000 have not bowed the knee to Baal. In other words, literally that image, they've not kissed the hand, signifying subjection to a false god. Elijah, you need to get out of this business of woe is me. You need to connect yourself to other people. Oh, praise God, somebody. I said you need to connect yourself to somebody else. I said you need to connect yourself to somebody else. Well, they don't know as much as me. Well, maybe not. On the other hand, they may may know more than you. You need to connect yourself to someone else. You need to see that the local church can minister to the people in a way that you can never minister to by yourself. You are not enough to minister to the tremendous opportunity of needs that are in your world. So God placed you in a church and he says, this is my body. This is how I'm going to manifest my love here in the earth. And I want you to understand that you're going to have to prefer one another. Man, that's some fine preaching. Thank you very much. You're going to have to prefer one another. You're going to have to look at one another and say, you're probably better than me. You're going to have to choose one another. You're going to have to say, I'm committed to you. You're going to have to say, now, I am part of the hand and you are part of the foot. And you are more smelly than I am. But you are more germy than me. Both are true. You don't get to say to one another, I have no need of you. The church is the hope for the world because it is the vessel that carries the anointing of God. 
We cannot do what Christ did for us. I don't mean to suggest we are a replacement for his redemptive victory. That's not what I'm saying. But this is the vessel through which God has chose to manifest himself. And so to all of you who made a commitment to the church, I want to say thank you and may God bless you. With my mouth, I bless you today. And I say without you, I wouldn't be filling the cool air conditioning blowing down on the back of my neck. I bless you today most abundantly. The reason why we have a sanctuary today is because you bound yourself with someone else. The reason why we have uh, uh, facilities and the reason why we have uh, we buy new sound equipment and we have new uh, sound systems. And I, I teach this in a, a first steps class. I say, look, I want you guys to understand that anything you see here at the church is the result of somebody believing in the mission of this church enough to say, let me invest in that mission. I am not an island. I want to be part of the mission. And so if the church has a church van, somebody in the church bought it for the church. If the church has facilities, somebody in the church bought it. I want to bless you, every one of you who commit yourself to an imperfect church. With an imperfect preacher. I know that's the hard part. And I know I've got you all fooled. And you think I'm perfect. But trust me. It's an act. (laughs) And although you guys look so beautiful all sitting here today, dignified up, you look like you wouldn't touch a sin with a 10-foot pole. You are so holy up in this house. I don't even know why you wore shoes because you just levitate across the ground. God bless you. I bet $5. Speaking of sin, I bet $5 that earlier this week you wouldn't wanted to have, you wouldn't have wanted to have anybody with a video camera on you. And I'm here telling you, I need you. And this church needs you. Am I alone? No, I'm not alone. I feel like nothing I do matter. Stop looking to your own and and bind yourself with other people. Because even when you feel like it doesn't matter to you, it'll matter to somebody. Let's all stand together. You are called and you are anointed. You need to embrace that. Say it with me. Say, I am called. I am anointed. You need to embrace that in your life because it will change the way you live. It will change the way you make decisions. And if we are going to be in this spiritual battle, where we seek to influence a generation, we need to, all of us, commit to faithfulness. It's not enough to be called. It's not even enough to be chosen. We, as stewards, must be faithful in the work of God. I want to invite all of you to step out of the chair you're in today, and I'd like you, as is our habit, to come down to the front. And as we come together, I want you in your own heart and in your own life to make a commitment to the work of God as it is revealed to you. I'd like, I'd like every one of you who will, I'd like you to, to find a way to say, Lord Jesus, I am, I am making a commitment here today. I am making a consecration here today.
to, 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 to manifest your work, to manifest your call in my world. In Jesus' name we pray. Lord God, I'm praying for every person in this house. I thank you for the inclusion by which you have brought us, made us a part of your kingdom. I thank you for that, Lord Jesus. Help us to believe we can make a difference. Because if we don't believe that, we won't even try. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, help us to accept the fact that there is a contest of the spiritual that happens. And we must, in some way, we must battle and do spiritual warfare on your behalf against the forces of the enemy. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Reach out to somebody nearby. Uh, find someone near near you, whoever's appropriate. Maybe take a hand, put a hand on their shoulder, whatever, whatever works for you. I'd like us to call on the name of the Lord here today. I'd like us to recommit ourselves to his promise, recommit ourselves to his call. In Jesus' This is... This is Memorial Day weekend. And this is the weekend that we remember those heroes who gave their life protecting our, our freedoms, protecting our nation. It's a, a solemn memory that we have when we think of the people who have, have given their lives. There's really no way we can repay them, but we can seek to remember them and respect them. And so as a nation, this is what we do on this week. But I would like to, I'd like to do something uh, a little different. And uh, I'd like to point out the fact that without people who gave their life to the call, to the work, this church wouldn't be here. Um, not just this church, but the church in the earth wouldn't be here. It is all dependent on people perceiving the need and standing in the gap. It is absolutely dependent on people. In generations gone by, that was that included martyrs, that included martyrs who literally gave their life that we might have this this great inheritance of the body of Christ. And so I want to do something uh, different. I, I want to just take a moment. And I want to think of all of those. We don't know their names. But because of them, we have what we call a church. And the church is in many ways stronger in, in, according to resources and according to um, influence. Stronger in, in many ways. But uh, in other ways, the church... In the, in, the, in the world, we, we need revival. But without sacrifice, e even in a local situation, this, uh, this church exists because people uh, started, people gave, people consecrated. And uh, as a generation, we cannot forget that sacrifice. This, this church was started in the early 50s, and there were, there were uh, seven, uh, if I remember correctly, there were, there were six pastors from the early 50s until 1975 when uh, my parents, Brother and Sister Elms, took the pastor here in Charlotte. Um, seventh, I'm the eighth pastor of this church. Of those 
first six pastors, the average tenure for them was about a little under two years. And the reason why was not because they were, you know, they wanted to, to leave. It's just so hard to start something. It's so hard uh, to, it's not just hard on the pastor, it's hard on the pastor's family. It's hard on the families who are trying to help get the thing started. And uh, they, they, they'd work, try, and then they would resign and someone else would come. 1975, my, uh, my mom and dad came and we don't give my mom and dad enough honor and enough credit around here and I'll take credit for that. Uh, but they, they came 1975 to this church and um, there were 20-something voters. And um, of those 20 voters, um, I think within a year, uh, almost two-thirds of them had disappeared. And so what the church started with was uh, a building, a handful of people, and one very powerful spiritual five-year-old boy. <laughs> That's what this church had. No money. But a five-year-old who was powerful. <laughs> and uh, when the church ran out of money, my mom and dad didn't leave. And when people got mad, uh, they didn't leave. I learned how to love people from my mom and dad. My dad, more than my mom, my mom doesn't suffer fools very well. If you act a fool with her, she will cut you. <laughs> Just kidding, mom. Um, uh, we, we would have people come through the church, and um, they were crazy. And my dad, us kids, they were so crazy, us kids would be like, Dad, they're an idiot. And my dad would be out meeting with them again and praying and just loving them. Flawed, broken, imperfect people just loving them and putting up with craziness year after year. And uh, it's because of that kind of a life given that every church that exists today is able to turn the lights on and have a gathering because somewhere we did not receive this holy form from the forehead of Zeus no <laughs> this this is the work of people who cast their lot with the kingdom of God and said we're not giving up and we're showing up Sunday after Sunday but ministry is just the smallest part of the story this church exists because of you guys who value the work of the church and invest your life in the church and pay the bills of the church. Some of you are like, well, I didn't know I paid the bills. That's because you didn't. But other people in the church pay the bills of the church so you can enjoy the blessings. Do you see what I'm saying? I want to awaken in your heart a great memory of thanksgiving for the price that has been paid to allow you to casually come into the house of the Lord today and lift your hands and say, I love you, Lord Jesus. I want you to have a sense of blessing upon you of how blessed you are for the church. Elijah, it can't end with you. You got a 
find somebody and give the vision to them. Elijah, it can't stop with you. You've got to pick somebody and you've got to anoint him to do what you cannot do. You can only do a third of the work. But if you will find someone else, the work will be done through them. Let's praise him right now. Lord Jesus, we bless your name in this house. Thank you for these wonderful people. I pray your blessings upon them. I pray your anointing upon them today. I pray you'd open the windows of heaven in their life. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Lift your voice, sing it with us one more time. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four stars. By doing so, you will help others find it and also bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times and church ministries, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.